0: You know, they say that ships don't sink because of the water around them. Ships sink because of the water in them. You know, a ship can be in the vast ocean surrounded by miles and miles and miles of water, miles deep, but the ship is fine until the moment that the water comes inside it. You know, we've talked... um, over the past few weeks, and I did a, a message a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, titled The Power of Environment. We talked about how important it is with our environment and our external forces and the place that we are in and the places that we are in, how important our environment is. The, you could call it the external factors that are around us. And not only is our external environment important, our internal environment is incredibly uh, important. Uh, we have to recognize that not only are we facing external forces, but we're also facing internal forces. And as we think about um, our own lives, as we think about progress, as we think about spiritual formation, as we think about becoming what we want to become, becoming what God wants us to become, um, as we think about this inner life and who we are, we have to recognize that the inside is just as important, if not more important, than the outside. What's happening on the inside of you is more important than what's happening on the outside of you. And so today and for the next couple weeks, uh, next few weeks, we're going to work on self. We are going to work on self. Um, self, and we all want change in our lives, and if you really want um, change in your lives, and you have to recognize that more than your circumstances around you changing, you're going to have to begin to change, and this is what the scriptures talk about, the process of spiritual of formation. I love what Paul David Tripp would say, the author and the writer and the teacher, he would say this, he would say, no one is more influential in your life than you are. Because no one talks to you more than you do. You are so, the relationship that you have with yourself, perhaps more than any other relationship outside your relationship with God, the most important relationship you have is the relationship that you have with self. And all of us, whether you like it or not, all of us have a relationship, a certain kind of relationship with self, with the self, and kind of my own personal journey and my own personal story over the past few years has really kind of turned into uh, this obsession with a progress, and one of the things that God has done in my life over the past few years has helped me see and realize the process of Progress, And you could say, I've even become a little bit obsessed with this idea of progress. And here's the reality, is that God expects you to grow. Now, God accepts you where you are, meaning your salvation and how you find Christ and what Christ has done for you. God accepts you exactly where you are, but he doesn't leave you where you are. Can I get an amen in the house? He, he meets you where you are, but then the spiritual life is the journey of transformation. It's the journey of growth. It's the journey into becoming uh, what God would want you to become, and what uh, you should desire to become as um, well. And so I look at my own life, and anybody do this, you look at your life like ten years ago, and you just kind of like shake your head, and you're like, "Oh my goodness," you know, I, that that was that's where I was. To, and then you look at yourself, and you can see you can see the progress. Um, of your life. And you can see what God has done in you and how he has shaped you and how he has taken you through different moments and different seasons and different circumstances to bring you to the place that you are to a day. So he- here's the title for today that we're going to be talking about for the next uh, couple weeks. It's this Project Self. Project uh, Self. Uh, now immediately, um, you know, e- even for myself, uh, we think about this concept and this notion of self. The reality is that our culture has a lot to say about self. Our culture is busily talking about the self and, and your own self and discovering yourself and finding yourself and, and, and so on and so forth. We need to recognize that the scriptures have a lot to say about Self, And even as we look through church history and over the ages, um, the, the invaluable aspect of the nature of the self. Here's what St. Augustine, one of my favorite early church fathers from the 4th century, St. Augustine, the Bishop of Hippo, he would say famously, he would pray, Lord, let me know myself and let me know you. Augustine would go on and he would say that part of the process of understanding God and knowing God is the reality of knowing self. And his prayer was that God would allow him to understand himself well so that he could understand God. Theologians would call this double knowledge, if you want a deep theological concept today. Double knowledge, which is the idea is that there is knowledge of God, but there is also knowledge of self. And true spiritual formation in your life happens by both. And here's what the culture does. The culture does the knowledge of self and focuses only on self, doesn't include God in the process, and thinks that they can become everything that they want to become just based on the knowledge of self. Well, there's another knowledge that's necessary, which is the knowledge of God and understanding who God is and and letting God inform the self so that you know yourself and know who you want to become. Now, here's what some Christians do. They completely avoid the knowledge of self and they just go knowledge of God. You ever met these people? They love theology and doctrine and scripture and they can quote Bible chapters and, and verses, but they actually aren't spiritually mature because they've got a, a lot of one kind of knowledge but not a lot of the other kind of knowledge and it requires both. Uh, John Calvin, one of the, one of the famous um, theolo- theological leaders of, of, our, of our history, he, he, he would say this, our wisdom insofar as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves." These are the opening lines of the Institutes of the Christian Religion, his most famous work on theology. He would also say this, which is pretty bold, I don't think I could get away with saying this today, but he did, he says this, without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. Without knowledge of God, there is no knowledge of self. He's essentially acknowledging and recognizing this, in order to make true progress in your life, in order to transform, in order to spiritually become what you can become, it takes both. It takes knowledge of God and of self. Which, by the way, can we just stop for one second and say, thank God that we can become what He wants us to become. Yeah. Thank, thank God that every single person in the room today has the ability to become what God wants you to become. It, regardless of your past, regardless of your situation, regardless of your circumstances, every single person has the ability to become what God wants them to become. You can become what God wants you to um, become. I love what David Brenner, a couple, um, a couple books that have been super helpful in this, by the way. Um, David Brenner, he wrote the book The Gift of Being Yourself. He's a Christian psychologist, super, super helpful. And then as well, um, Brian Rosner, he wrote a book, Biblical Theology for uh, of, for life, which is known by God, a biblical theology of personal identity. Super helpful books. I love what David Brenner would say. He he would say this: the goal of the spiritual journey is the transformation of self, and this requires uh, knowing both ourself and God. So here's what we're going to do: we're we're going to focus on of self, not at the absence of God, not bypassing God, but actually looking through the lens of God in Scripture and looking to ourselves and becoming the self that God wants us to um, become. We're not going to do the cultural approach, which is, you know, a focus on self-obsession and self-interest and self-image, self-satisfaction, self, self-help, self self-whatever. No, we're going to do this through a biblical lens, um, through um, h- how God would want us to understand the reality of self. And he- here, here's the reality. The Scripture has a lot to say about self. It it has a a tremendous amount to say about self. And so there's a a biblical Christian way in which we can think about the self and become um, what God wants us to become. So we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3 today, and we're going to start in verse 1. We're we're going to look at the first 11 verses in Colossians 3, what the Apostle Paul would help us to understand what it means to know the right, have a right relationship with self, and then to step into what God would want you to become. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Okay, Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. I love this. It says this. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are what? Above. Above. Above, which means the Christian, the person that has received Christ, the person that is in Jesus, if you've given your life to Christ, if you've received him, put your faith in him, the Christian life is a life of looking where? Above, it's a life of focus. Everybody has focus. Everybody is looking in a certain direction. The Christian life is a life of primarily focusing on what is above. He says, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. This is a heavenly focus. Some some of y'all need a heavenly focus for crying out loud. Some of y'all have been focusing on the wrong things. Some of you have been looking at all the wrong things, focusing on all the wrong things. He says, You gotta be focused on, you gotta have a heavenly uh, perspective. And he says this, Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. So he's talking about above, and he's talking about the earth. He's talking about your mindset. Your mindset is your perspective, your attitude, your mentality. He says, Where do you put your mindset? Not on things on the earth. We take our mindset and we conform our mindset by giving our, by making our mindset be focused on the things that are above. He says, "For you have died, spiritually speaking. You've died in one sense, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory." He says, "Since you say glory is coming, I I did a message a few weeks ago. Said heaven is on the way." And in the meantime, we've got to be people that are focused on heaven, looking towards the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, making sure that our lives are oriented around the things of God, not the things of the world. And he would say this in, in verse 5. Therefore, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. So the, this is, the, he's using this concept of earthly, what is, what is worldly, what is just, uh, what, what is your previous life, he's going to say. And so what, is, what does he say, what's earthly in you? Then he, he gives a list. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And then he says in verse 6, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Just for the record, that means the judgment of God. For clarity, um, God is a God of love, and he is a God of judgment. This is a good thing. Our culture hates this concept, but it is a good thing that God is a God of judgment. But Because of wickedness and evil, you want a God of just, justice. You want a God who rules well. You want a God who judges wrongness. Someone gets raped. Someone gets stolen from. Someone gets abused. Someone gets mistreated. What do you want to happen to the person who did that? You want justice to be served. So our God is a God of, of justice. And God says, just for the record, worldly things and a worldly way of living, God's judgment is coming on those things. His judgment is coming. He would say this as well in verse 7. In these, you too once walked by the way. This used to be the way that you walked. This was the way that you you hung. This is what you did when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. And then he gives us another list. He says, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Verse 9, he says, do not lie to one another. And then here's the key uh, phrase for The the sermon today, it's this. Seeing that you have put off, somebody say put off, you have put off the old self. You have put off the old self with its practices and have put on, somebody say put on, and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge. After the image of its creator sounds like the knowledge of God. And he says here there is no Greek. There's not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free... But Christ is all in all. At the end, he essentially says, everybody has these categories for how they think about their self. Jew, Greek, barbarian, circumcised, uncircumcised, this, slave. What He says, now I've given you a new way to think about yourself. Not according to the earthly categories or the worldly categories, but now I'm giving you a new framework for how that you think about your own identity and your own self. And that self is Christ. It's Jesus when you think about yourself. So here's, here's what I like to do. Let's... Let me give you a few um, points that I think are going to be helpful for walking this out. Thinking about the old self and the new self. Here's number one. Here's the first thing. Number one is this You were made for heaven. You were made for heaven. We just need to recognize this and understand this here at the very beginning. You weren't made for this world. You weren't, you weren't made for a certain kind of lifestyle, a certain kind of identity, a certain kind of practices that are earthly, worldly. You were made for heaven. Tell your neighbor. You were made for heaven. That's what you were made for. That's what you were designed for. That's that's, that's what God wants for you, is is that every single one of us, we were made for heaven. that's, That's why Paul would say, hey, where should you be looking? Where should your focus be? Where should your attention be? It should be up. It should be heavenly. It should be kingdom of God, the things of God. That's what you were made for. That's what you were made for. So, so we got to recognize that internally, I mean in, in who we are, we're made for heaven. We're made for the kingdom of heaven. This is why we love talking about the kingdom. It's because you and I are kingdom citizens. We're kingdom, kingdom citizens. We're, we've been We've been bought and chosen and pursued and called and given a new identity, which is not anything that the world would want to give us, a political identity or a socioeconomic identity or even an ethnic identity, but primarily, the, the primary identity that we have is we're kingdom people. We're, we're citizens of the king, our King Jesus. He's loved us and he's, he's, he's changed us and he's given us a new life, and so um. We're kingdom people, and so therefore our, our attention and our focus needs to be heavenly. This is, this is a little bit of the problem with screens. Um, can I just go here for a second? I'm not, I'm not like anti-technology, okay, y'all? Um, I've got a phone. I just got a brand-new 13 Pro Max or something like that. I, I, I'm into technology, okay? I'm for technology. Um, my kids have iPads, okay? I mean, we like... Um, But you've got to be careful what you're focusing on, okay? You've got to be careful what you are focusing on because whatever you are focusing on is going to form you. You just can't separate the two. If you're, if you're always focused on things that are earthly, things that are worldly, things, problems, challenges, issues, and those things exist. I'm not saying ignore them, act like they don't exist, but I'm saying what are you focusing on? So you, you and I were designed and made to have a focus for heaven, to look to heaven, to, to be heavenly people, to be uh, people that have heaven on the inside of us. And so we were made for heaven. And, and, this, is, and this is what Paul says, therefore, um, because you were made for heaven, you need to recognize that God's given you a new self. Um, God's given you a, a new self. And this is the, the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel is that God has made us new. The beauty of the gospel is that in Christ all things are made new. The scriptures would say, Paul would say, I believe it is off the top of my head. I think, I think uh, 2 Corinthians 5 maybe. Um, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Creation. I mean, God has made you New. And here's, here's, here's the good news of the gospel. Religion can't clean you up. Morality can't clean you up. Uh, being baptized can't clean you up. Giving a lot of money to a church or a charity can't clean you up. The way that you are cleaned up is by Jesus Christ, the gospel. And the way that that happens is you recognize your sin and your shame, um, you recognize what Christ has done for you in your place and for your sins on the cry on the cross. He came for you, you trust him, you surrender your life to him, you recognize that you can 't clean yourself up, you receive his forgiveness and his righteousness, and in that moment he makes you new that 's what the Bible calls saved it 's salvation it 's salvation. That, that has to happen. Morality and religion and none of the other things can, can do that. You have to receive the gospel. And when the gospel comes to you, and the gospel must be received, that when it's received in faith, um, God begins to make you new. He makes you a new creation. The old you is now, he would say, dead. It's spiritually dead. It's, it's no longer a part of you. It, it's, it's an old version of you. Now there's a new version of you, and this new version of you looks like Jesus. It looks like Christ. It's not perfect, understandably. We're waiting for that perfection to come in the future. Um, but you're now, you're now new. And so he says, and Paul says, just for clarity, let me give you a list. Here's here's some old things, and then here's here's some new things. Here's what he says is, is old. He has two categories, and then for whatever reason, it's one category of sexuality, and then there's one category of speech. These are the two lists that he gives us in this text. He says, and so the old you, just for just for so you can know, sexually speaking, is what he'll call sexual immorality, impurity. Uh, passion, evil desire, covetousness. These are all words um, that are communicating, that are desiring things and acting upon things that are contrary to a way that, the, that God would want you to understand your sexuality. So let's just park here for just a minute. You're like, I was hoping today the pastor would talk and address sexuality. Yes, you're welcome. Um, let's just park here for just one second. Um, un- incredibly important topic in our uh, society As Christians, as people who, by the way, we we love the Scriptures. We love the Scriptures. We believe that this is God's Word, that it's authoritative, that everything in this book is for our good. This is God's revelation for us. This is the way that we know God. This is the way that we know truth and, and, and righteousness. And by the way, the church is supposed to be the beacon of righteousness in the world. We can't abdicate that responsibility to any other institution. It starts here at the church. All right? So we can't backpedal on truth. We can't backpedal on righteousness. And everything that we see in God's word is it's true and it's right and it's good. And so here's what we need to recognize from the scriptures that sex is good. Okay? Just for the record, it's a good thing. It's a God thing. It's what God created. It's what God designed. It was his idea. He's the inventor of all this and he's the inventor of sex. He's the inventor of sexuality. He's the one that made us into sexual beings. God had infinite possibilities at his disposal when he created humanity and he decided to create a man and a woman and he would put them together and say, you're now going to be in a relationship together and you're going to enjoy covenant relationship together and that relationship is going to be, that covenant is going to be consummated through sexuality, through your sexual relationship and you're going to experience oneness. The scriptures would say with Adam and Eve, our first parents, that he made them one. They were one flesh. And the beauty of sexuality is that it allows us to enter into covenant relationship and experience oneness with someone that is absolutely beautiful and glorious. And you could even argue in many ways that the relationship and the marriage covenant exist to give us a, a taste and an understanding of what it's like to know what covenant relationship with God is like. That when we enter into relationship with God, it's, it's oneness, it's unity. That's why the scriptures would say you are now one In Christ, you're united with him. And so Paul would say, um, he's essentially saying um, that God's design, and this is what we understand from the scriptures, that God's design for your sexuality is that your sexual expression should be manifested in a covenant relationship between a man and a woman in a marriage, and you should enjoy that sex, and you should procreate, and you should do all sorts of fun sex stuff and be in a great sexual relationship but anything, just for clarity, anything outside of that is sexual immorality. It's, it's off. It's not God's best. It's not God's design. And Paul says when you operate in with your sexual expression outside of those things, that's not God's best for you. That's the old you. That's the old you. There's a new you. There's a new you. You've got a new self, a self that isn't dominated by sexual perversion or sexual um, misconduct, but you now have a new self that isn't enslaved by that and can operate accordingly in a wise and godly manner. And Paul says, put away the old self. Here's the second category that he gives, not only a a, a list of uh, sexuality or sexual immorality. He gives us the other list of speech. All right, some of you are like, uh, were like, we're going to sock it to the sexual immorality people. Now we're going to sock it to you, okay? And, and how you talk, how, what, you, what you do with your mouth, how you, the language that you use. And he says things like anger, wrath, malice, slander, lying. All you people got mad at the sexual people, but you're doing just the same. You're, you're, you're walking in the old self just like they are, which is part of the problem with the church is we like to pick on one group for the way that they operate according to some kind of immorality while we're not even operating according to our own morality. All right, so we gotta be people that live, acor- live according to the new self. All right? and, 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 and lying and slander and gossip and demeaning people and speaking negatively about someone who is made in the image of God is the old way. It's the old way. It's the old self. It doesn't belong. You don't have to be enslaved to that. But you're like, but Pastor Ethan, every time I show up to work and we, we, we get together, and then immediately it starts this. Or, as soon as I show up with my family, and daughter, or as soon as I show up with, with my friends or my roommates, or, I understand. I, I recognize that. But you don't have to be enslaved right. to the old self. That's the old you. It doesn't belong. It doesn't belong. And any time we begin to uh, follow The old self, as opposed to the new self, it always has damaging and destructive uh, consequences in our life. It always has damaging and destructive consequences in our life. And so this is the old self and the new self, and that was (laughs) a long way to say point number one. You were made for heaven. You (laughs) were made for heaven. Here's number two. Here's number two. It's this. I love the way that Paul um, acknowledges this. He essentially says this. The new self is not something you achieve. It's something you receive. And, th- and this is the difference between the cultural way of pursuing self and the Christian way of approaching self. In the cultural way of approaching self, I mean, you just got to go discover yourself. I mean, you just, I don't know, uh, rent a chalet in the mountains for a few days and just go try to find yourself and, and discover yourself and, and hope that you find something. Um, it, and you, it's kind of up to you to b- become and so, on and so on. In the Christian approach to self, the self isn't something that we achieve, it's something that we receive. It's Christ gives you the new self. He gives you a new mind. He gives you a new heart. He, he gives his spirit in you. The Holy Spirit comes inside. You have something that the world doesn't have. You've got the Holy Spirit inside of you that is your new self. It's something you live according to, to, to God and to the ways of, of God. And so it's not something that you achieve. It's something that you uh, receive. And so um. If, if the new self is only something that can be received from God, then you could say it's only in a right relationship with God that you can experience a right relationship with self. It's only in right relationship with God that we actually understand how to have a right relationship with a self. And it's not something that you have to achieve. It's something that you receive. And this is kind of the, this is the duality of the Christian life. Um, we're going to go here in the next point, but there's kind of two main philosophies or mindsets to the way that spiritual formation happens in someone's life. These are characterized by denominations and theological groups and so on and so forth. There's two kind of main strategies. Um, I'll call them ditches. Um, On one side um, is the idea and the concept that uh, you must save yourself. You must be a good person. You must clean up your life in order for God to accept you. This is this is self-works self, uh, self and it's, it's all about you and it's all about what you do to achieve your salvation, which is actually very similar to the religions of the world, which is if you do enough to appease your God, your God will accept you and save you. That's, that's one ditch. On, on, the, on the other side are is, is Christians who say, I do nothing in the process, in my spiritual formation process. I'm saved. I'm justified. I'm good now. And then they just kind of just live however they want, want, want to live. No, it's, it's, it's a both-and. It's you and God. It's, you're, you're not, it's not spiritual amnesia. No, it's you coming together with God in the process of spiritual formation. Scriptures would say, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That means you don't save yourself, but you do work it out. You, you flex the muscles. You get, you get in the weight room. You, you do some work. you you got to do some work in your spiritual formation process. That will bring us to point number three. Here's, here's number three is this. Christ's job was to make you new. Your job is to renew. Christ's job was to make you new. He did that. Christ accomplished that for you on the cross. Your job is to renew. Paul would say, have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So you don't make yourself new you don't accomplish the new self. You receive the new self. But now that you receive a new self in Christ, you now have to renew. You have to go through the spiritual process of the renewal of your mind. Paul would say in Romans 12, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The mind just means the mindset. It's the attitude. It's the perspective. It's, it's, the, outlo- it's the outlook. It's what you think about. It's, it's the It's the engine of your thinking. It's the centrality of your thinking. And Paul would say your thinking is the process by which spiritual formation happens in your life. And the way that you continue to be new, the way that you become, the way that you step into what God wants you to do in your new self is you renew. You renew, you, we continue to look above, we look above, we keep our focus on heavenly things, and then we renew ourselves with God's ways, with God's thoughts, with God's plans. It's super important what you're feel, filling your mind with. It's super important what you're thinking about. Super important what you're allowing into your head in your thinking. Some of you are just letting worldly thinking just live in your head i'm mean, earthly thinking live in your head you are responsible for your mind you you are responsible for what comes in here what lives in here and what you think about being a negative person is just boiled down to thinking negative thoughts being a positive person comes down to thinking positive thoughts it's what you allow in your head yourself is your responsibility that's that that's why um, the scriptures would say, would, would teach us self-control. Uh, do you know what self-control is? It's the control of self. Super deep. I know, I mean, you're going to like, it's going to just, can't handle that today. I know, it's heavy. It's, the scriptures would say, uh, the, what's, what's the, the famous verse that we love to quote in 2 Timothy 1.7? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, we all love the power part. And he says, and love, and self-control. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. Ah, no. What he's what he's birthed inside of us, what he's given inside of us, isn't fear. No, it's 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 power. It's it's strength. It's strength in Christ. It's love. Wow. It's loving people unlike anyone in the world uh, demonstrates love, and then it's self-control. Part of the nature of God's spirit in you is this self-control which just 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 means that you are responsible for yourself and this is what's amazing about humans this is what's amazing about humanity this is amazing about the way that God has God didn't make us as robots anybody realize that God didn't make us as robots He, he made us as thinking beings He made us as beings that have a will, that have a desire, that can do things, that cannot do other things, that can make things, that can create things. I love what David Brenner says in his book on this. He says this. It's a little bit of a lengthy quote, but I think it's super helpful. He says, in all of creation, identity is a challenge only for humans. The tulip knows exactly what it is. It is never tempted by false ways of being, nor does it face complicated decisions in the process of becoming. So it is with dogs, rocks, trees, stars, amoebas, electrons, and all other things. All give glory to God by being exactly what they are. For in being what God means them to be, they are obeying him. Humans, however, encounter a more challenging existence. We think, we consider options. We decide, we act, we doubt. Simple being is tremendously difficult to achieve, and fully authentic being is extremely rare, he says. In, in, God's, in God's providence, the way that he's made you, he's made you as a human being, as a being who has a will, who has a being who has the ability to think, has, has the Ability to consider, has, has a, an ability to, to, to make decisions and to go a certain way or not a certain way. And that's what's unique about humans and um, hum- humanity. And this, this, is, this is why um, it's important what we think about. It's important what we think, our, our thinking, it's, it's the computer, it's the engine that drives everything in our lives, our, our thinking. And I'll say it this way, You become what you think. You become what you think. This is a Christian concept. This is a biblical concept. You become what you think. This this is how God has made us. And whoever you think you are is what you become. And so, therefore, we're going to let our thinking drive our behaviors, not let our behaviors drive our thinking. This is the connection between beliefs and behaviors, Every epistle of Paul, almost in the New Testament, it starts first with beliefs, which is right thinking, and then behaviors, right um, actions. It's the relationship between beliefs and behaviors. And in order to have the right behaviors, you first have to have the right beliefs. It starts with thinking. I love what the King James would say in Proverbs 23, 7. For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Here's what God did. God gave you unbelievable power to become something. God gave you incredible ability to become, to progress, to transform. And it's the responsibility of the believer that we are putting off the old and we're putting on the new. The the language here, Pastor Chris, it's, it's, it's the language of clothing. It's the it's the language of um, it's the language of clothing or dressing, and um, I think about this. Um, I remember in um, I remember in college when I was playing intramural sports, and I, I remember being um, on uh, the Jaguars. We were called the Jaguars, and um, would play soccer and uh, softball and a lot of a lot of fun stuff. And I I, rem- I remember. Um, I remember that we had jerseys for uh, the Jaguars, and uh, one one time um, before a game, there was uh, other team there, and there were other jerseys. And one person mistakenly put on the wrong jersey, and immediately it was clear that the person was on the wrong team. And you, you shouldn't. How how did you do that? And somebody told him, takes off and make puts on the right jersey for um, the right team. You know, When we talk about the old self and the new self, it's about putting off the wrong jersey and putting on the right jersey. Your new jersey in in Christ is all about Jesus. It's about love, it's about self-control, it's about power, it's about grace, it's about forgiveness, it's about favor. It's about all these things. And you and I are responsible to control the self and make sure that we are putting on the new self of what Christ has given us and becoming what God wants us to become. I'll I'll end with this. In in 2018, I embarked on a pretty significant project at my home. Um, For a few months, I was trying to convince my wife that we needed to do something in our backyard And to do something that was a place where we could um, watch Clemson football, in Jesus' name, uh, where we could uh, hang out, where neighbors could come over, where we could have fun. And so, for months, um, we had a little bit of a back and forth, and um, she finally relented, and uh, we decided to put a 20-foot shipping container in our backyard. And... um, Uh, Actually, my father-in-law was here. He he helped me almost every weekend over the course of from about April to Labor Day of working on that thing of um, I'm sure the neighbors hated the noise that we were making every weekend in the shipping container. But it was a project that I was uh, super passionate about and wanted to have a place where neighbors could come over and and we could hang out with friends and so on and so forth. And it was a project that lasted for several uh, months. You know, there's something else that was happening in 2018. Um, our church was actually going through a little bit of a transition period in 2018, and honestly, um, I, it was it was incredibly challenging. Um, it, it, it was incredibly hard. It was it was frustrating. It was painful. It was hard to navigate. It was hard to know exactly um, what to do and where to go and managing it, it, it all. And I remember, um, in some ways, that that year and that summer, as I was. I didn't realize it at the time, but as I was working on that project in the backyard, there was another project that was going on, which was the project of self. And in those weekends and on those days, um, long hours of thinking and um, being, I recognized that while I was doing that project in the yard, God was doing a project in me. And that God was helping me become what I needed to. God was helping me transform into who I needed to be transformed into. The good news and how I want to encourage you today, church, we're we're going to be a church that is a church about progress. We're going to be a church that's about growth. Uh, We're going to be a, a church that helps people become everything that God wants them to become. And so I'm here today to tell you that you can become what God wants you to become. And God is doing a work in you. He's doing the work of self, and you can embrace, own, pursue, and follow the new self that God has for you. Amen? Let's pray. God, today we are so grateful that um, we have the ability to become. We have the ability to transform. We have the ability to step into who you want us to be father in jesus name god we we just declare and we ask that you would help us realize what you want us to realize in our lives that you want us to be the kinds of people to be the self that you want us to uh, become hey with your heads bowed and your eyes closed today for just a moment would you consider um your life for just a moment would you consider in your own space in your own seat um Perhaps where you are and where God would want you to go. Who God would want you to become. Are there areas in your life right now that look like the old self? Are there things in your life right now that are more characterized by the old self than the new self? And today, in this moment, could you kill those things? Kill those things. Put those things off of you and begin the process of putting on what God would want you to become. Father, speak to us and allow us to know what it is where we should follow you and obey you. And Father, give us great a transformation in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.